Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. My guest today is Hannah Gordon. She is an executive speaker, writer, teacher, and presidential leadership scholar. She serves as the chief administrative officer and general counsel of the San Francisco 49ers. Hannah was named one of football's most influential women by NFL.com. Hannah Gordon, nice to see you. Wonderful to be here with you today. Thank you for taking time. I know that you are a busy woman. It's football season and you have a new book out. And um, so we've got a lot to talk about. I want to jump right in. Go right ahead. And Shelly, it's especially good to be with you because you're part of the 49ers family. So even though we're in season, um, this is a family conversation. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's been a little different uh, year for the family this year. (laughs) It has. Um, Actually, let's just uh, start with that. How has 2020 been from your perspective um, with all of the adjustments and audibles you all have had to call for the 49ers? It's been challenging. Um, In general, I'm somebody who really likes challenges. I think What is perhaps unique about this one is the duration of it. Um, I don't think any of us thought it was going to last this long back in March necessarily um, or be quite as complex um, as it has been. And I think the other thing that's hard is just all the human suffering that we've seen, not only across our country, but across the world. Um, That part of it has been tough. Um, But the calling audibles um, and changing things on the fly, like I think that that's what we get paid to do. So I don't mind that part. And Hannah, I know that we're, we're in December as we're talking and recording this and the team has just gone to Arizona because of the shutdown in Santa Clara County. So uh, what has your role been in, in that transition? Sure. Um, so a couple of different groups um, that I get to work with as part of my role at the 49ers Our legal group, of course, we have a lot of contracts to do anytime we go somewhere new. Um, Our public affairs and strategic communications group, we communicate with government officials all over, um, anywhere that we need to work with risk management, making sure we have all the right insurance, and then all of our community impact work. Um, So part of what we've had to do during this whole pandemic really is shift a lot of that work to be digital, whether it's our EDU prep, um, which is our youth football Uh, and wellness work, as well as our STEAM education work through our 49ers Foundation. All of our fundraisers have all become digital. And then our community relations work with players like your son-in-law, George Kittle, um, has become, a lot of it has been virtual. Um, But it's been amazing how many people that you can reach um, and and have a really personal experience with, even over something like Zoom. I had the opportunity, um, it was probably the beginning of the summer, I think. I was working, doing some virtual, also coaching work with the 49ers Academy. And yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. And I know that you, as you mentioned, the foundation is very involved with them. And I know it was just yeah. so hard for, you know, from their perspective, even to, you know, cause hold the, the fundraisers and, and they're so used to being able to kind of have access and it's such a great incentive for the students there to be able to have that kind of access and interaction with the players and um, that that's been, you know, really had an impact on the way they've been able to operate as well. It has. It's been a very challenging year for nonprofits across the country. Absolutely. So Hannah, I want to um, talk about your book. You just released Season of Change. And I think it, as we were talking off the air, it's incredible. It speaks my language as a fellow sports girl. 
Um, <laughs> I, and I, I know it. I said to you that it's so refreshing as a woman to have someone else that, that speaks that language that just you initially, it, as soon as I picked it up, it just made sense and it, it resonated to me. And you are in the sports world 24 seven. I am not always. And so, uh, it, there's a, just a different vernacular. There's a, you know, it, when, depending on the habitat you're in really, and this just makes me feel right at home. Good. That's exactly what I hoped for somebody like you who's been in sports. And then I hope the folks who haven't been in sports are able to access that vernacular as well and understand that it doesn't have to be intimidating or different, that it's actually applicable to everybody. And spot on. And I have always um, talked about and, and with people who are, whether they're in sports people or not, it's less, or excuse me, sports athletics teaches you the greatest life lessons. It's where I've learned the majority of mine. And I think that it's so transferable, the skills that you learn on the field, on the court, or, you know, working around the athletic world are so transferable to um, real life, if you will. And so uh, I just want to talk about, to, to for starters, um, kind of the background, uh, what led you to this point with your book. And I know in here, Hannah, I'm just going to read a little excerpt. You say, this guided journal is a condensed version of the practices that helped me transition from an abuse survivor to a woman who reached the executive marks of a male-dominated industry by age 35. Tell me a little bit more about that history, because um, transitioning from an abuse survivor is not is no small feat. That is true. Um, and I think for me, that's one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about journaling um, is that for those of us who are survivors of childhood sexual abuse in particular, but I think for a lot of different types of abuse, um, what makes journaling such a powerful tool is that it's completely free. It requires no training. And um, in particular for that type of abuse, it doesn't require you to talk to anyone else. Um, it doesn't require you to talk to an adult. It doesn't um, require you to have a therapist. So it doesn't require you to have health insurance. Um, so it's, it's something that's really the only tool that I can think of that is so widely available um, to anyone to utilize. Um, and it really puts the power back in your own hands. Um, and allows you to come face to face with things that are difficult, um, maybe before you're even able to speak them out loud, you may be able to write them down. It's that transition from something that's in your head to bring it into the external world, um, which is where it can lose some of its power over you and where you can gain your power back over it um, when you give words to feelings and thoughts. Um, so that's really why I'm so passionate about journaling. Um, and certainly it was one of the most important tools, I think for me on my path. Um, I'm somebody who didn't do all of that work at as early an age as perhaps I wish I would have. Um, but we're all on our own path. Right. And so one of the reasons that I wrote this is that I think all of us who've been through difficult things want to make somebody else's path a little bit easier. Um, and maybe help them work through whatever it is that they need to work through to come into their full greatness um, as early as possible. I'm so glad that you mentioned, um, because I think, you know, there, there is that time period, and, and for everybody it's different, right, from, from the traumatic experience event or series of events to the point where you are able to really be aware of how it has affected you and to, to understand that it's okay to need, want, and ask for help. So 
What was that transition like for you? How long, you mentioned that you wish you would have done it a little sooner, but, you know, kind of what did it take for you to get to that point? I think it took um, other really difficult experiences um, (laughs) to to bring me back face to face um, with the sort of source um, of all of that pain. And for me, it took me until my early 30s. And that's why I am often so passionate when talking to kids who are in high school or college or grad school about um, dealing with whatever baggage you may be carrying, um, because it doesn't go away. Um, It just keeps following you until you unpack it. Um, And so better to unpack it sooner rather than later. And that is definitely easier said than done, um, which my own life will attest to. Um, But to the extent that people can, and one of the things that I talked to them about is that the irony is it makes you, and you know this because you're a leadership coach, dealing with whatever personal stuff you may have, and everybody has something and everybody's stuff is different. um, It makes you a much better leader. Um, And so that was sort of like one of the side benefits I was probably never anticipating and, and probably noticed more because I was already in, you know, well into my career and in my thirties when I was sort of unpacking all of that, if you will, um, is that suddenly people would say, oh, you're, you're so much more vulnerable now at work. Um, And to me, vulnerability always had seemed like a really horrible thing that I would never want to be, especially as a woman in a male-dominated industry. And so it was really a learning lesson for me um, that it's okay to be vulnerable and that actually that can make you a better leader Um, and and that you become just so much more aware and and open to everyone else's... um, I don't want to say open to their pain because I've always been an empathetic person since I was a little kid, but just that you have much better sort of ability to help others once you've helped yourself. Like, I think that's one of the other themes in the book is really all leadership starts with self-leadership and how you're leading yourself. Um, It's like, you know, when you're on the plane, they say, put your oxygen mask on first. Um, And it's the same thing in life. And I agree with you. I think, uh, especially in a, a competitive landscape, Sometimes vulnerability can feel like or seem like weakness. So the, the fact that you are, are helping people understand that it is truly one of the greatest strengths, it's actually, it, you know, I don't know, you're, I'm assuming you're probably a Brene Brown fan if we're talking about vulnerability, but she um, talks about that and how it's actually one the most courageous thing that you can do is to be vulnerable, is to put yourself out there and take that risk without, with the uncertainty of what the outcome is going to be. And I don't know about you, but I found that if I put myself in a position where I'm vulnerable, it doesn't, you want the other person or the other, the, the, the other party that you're talking to, to experience or to receive it. Okay. But it doesn't always work that way, but that's kind of part of the growth of healing and being vulnerable. Everyone isn't always going to necessarily be on your level or, or be ready to experience that emotion with you. That's very true. And I think that's one of the things that people do have to reach a comfort level with themselves, that people will not always receive us the way that we want to be received. But when we are courageous, whether that's in our vulnerability or any other way, what you walk away with is proud of your own courage, regardless of how the other person responded. Exactly. And you mentioned how these experiences, um, you got well into your 30s before you really uh, were aware that you wanted to or needed to um, work on some of this stuff. You've also been uber successful up through your 30s. So as a lot of people do uh, that experience traumatic things or adverse things, 
there's a lot of different ways you can cope with that. There's a lot of different ways you can and respond to that. High achievement is one of those ways. What role do you feel like that your experiences as, as a child had or played in your ability to be such a high achieving woman at such a young age? You know, I think it's funny because we can never live our lives over. So we can't really test out all these hypotheses. Um, you know, would I have been a high achiever if this hadn't happened? I think probably, um, but there's no question that being a high achiever certainly is a coping mechanism as well um, for a lot of things. Um, and so I do think that sort of the desire to please others, be accepted by others was definitely driving some of my high achievement in my 20s. Um, and actually one of the really sort of pivotal experiences I had at work in my late 20s was understanding how flawed um, that can be when you finally run into someone who you can't win over. Um, and so I worked with someone where I was so accustomed to being a high achiever, earning people's respect and like, and this person could not stand me, just did not like me. Um, and it was so painful for me um, at first because I, I, so much of my identity had been struck on being, you know, the great employee, whatever else. Um, and what I finally realized after many months of trying to win this person over, um, and several other people, you know, telling me that is not going to happen. Like you, you have to let, let go of that need, um, was that the person was never going to like me and not only never liked me, but was really going to try to cause me some harm as well. Um, and that once I let go of that, this huge emotional weight lifted. And I realized that I had been expending so much energy on an unwinnable battle. Um, and that sometimes there are things that we simply can't achieve. And we do need to let go of the people um, and forgive the people who either have you know, caused us some harm or who just don't like us and, and just move on from that. Um, so that definitely was um, a learning lesson. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it's no mistake that you are in a career where you're around high achieving people, uh, you know, pe 49ers, football players, uh, general managers, all of coaches, all of them who are at the pinnacle of their career. And uh, to, to be able to have that, um, you know, that experience of yourself achieving what you've achieved and being in that, again, that environment. And we'll get into how kind of your environment and your team plays a role in, in our abilities to be able to, to achieve dreams and to live the life we want to live. Um, as you talk about in your book, season of change, this, this next part in your book, you say the journey to this point was not always pretty. There were days when I wanted to quit moments when I doubted the vision times I had to remove people from my life and face fears that made me physically ill. Tell me more about that. Sure. Um, so even though I think often it looks really easy once we're in that position, whatever it is, a Pro Bowl tight end or a C-level executive at a team, um, but there were lots of times that I didn't know for sure that I could make it here. That you know, when I was in law school, people would regularly tell me, because I had a very clear vision of where I wanted to be and where I wanted to be is exactly where I'm sitting right now talking to you um, as the general counsel of an NFL team. And people would tell me, oh, you know, that's really hard to do. Perhaps you should broaden your, broaden your horizons a little, aim a little lower. Um, and even when I interviewed for the job at the 49ers, um, people told me, you're never going to get that job. 
Um, and here I am. And so I think there are uh, lots of times that we doubt um, where we're going. And that's why it's so important to, to know ourselves, to have that clear vision, to create the plan of how we get there. But there are going to be times, no matter what, where things don't go right and you start doubting. Um, and another example of that for me, having graduated from Stanford Law School, going off to a big firm, um, I was there during the last major recession in our country in the 08 to 2010 recession. Um, and 20% of the associates were laid off, including anyone who hadn't summered at the firm, which included me. Um, and so again, it was sort of like this moment of you've been this high achiever your whole life. And now you're a laid off, you know, first year attorney um, <laughs> with sort of nothing, not nothing to show for yourself, but no real experience yet um, in the law. And so there were times that I sat on my couch, you know, just sobbing, crying, um, thinking I'm going to die in a cardboard box, like I'll never work again, um, because we all have those times, right? We all have those difficult or darker moments. Um, and I think I try to share those moments with people because I want them to know that no matter where you are, if what you want is to get to where I am or whatever your vision is, you can do that. And I don't want them to think that it was all, you know, cupcakes and rainbows coming here um, because it wasn't. That's just not real life. That feeling, those feelings you were having then, I would venture to say a large portion of the country in 2020 during this COVID-19 pandemic that we're dealing with in the, feels like the 900th month, I think it's the ninth, <laughs> has felt that. I have felt that. I mentioned to you off the air back in April, I was in what I thought was my dream job at the time, being a leadership development director of a women's leadership nonprofit. And because of COVID-19, that all went away. And so I found myself like exactly what you're saying, Hannah. It's like you, it's, you know, desolate and uh, isolating. And you just start wondering, is this ever going to end? And am I ever going to work again? Or right. what do I do now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what did you do to pull yourself up and to really to get through that? Well, Shelly, probably like you, I see how entrepreneurial you are with this time, right? And so one of the things that you do is that you recommit to what it is that you want, um, how you're going to get there, and you do have, I love that this is called um, too much grit to quit because it is about grit. It is about mental toughness. And part of how we develop that is through practice, right? Like every time you get knocked down and you get back up, you get a little stronger. And the next time you get knocked down, you already know that you can get back up because um, you've done it before. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that is a big part of it. The other reason I love the title is because when I was in elementary school, Too Legit to Quit was like the song and we had a whole dance to it. And so it just brings back great memories. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, I would ask you to stand up and do the dance for us, but that's okay. We'll, we'll let that slide this thank time. Thank you, you for not tell, making me do that. <laughs> you can tell me next time I'm in Santa Clara. How's that? <laughs> that sounds great. I can't wait to see you here. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into peak performance training, then I invite you to check out my collaboration with Dr. David Kruger, Executive Mentor Coach and CEO of MentorPath, an executive coaching, training, publishing, and wellness firm who guides performing professionals to achieve and sustain peak performance. If you want to play to win, it requires answering these two questions. One, 
How can preparation, practice, and performance be developed and applied to consistently generate optimum performance? And two, how can coaches and players individually and collectively achieve and sustain elite performance success? The three peak performance playbooks and seven webinars offer practical guidance for both coaches and players to systematically apply mind, brain, and performance sciences to achieve and sustain optimum success. To sign up for alerts about the upcoming launch schedule, please go to my website, ShellyTill.com, and there you can click on courses and then peak performance. As you mentioned, um, you know, some of the things you, you wrote this in, in journal form, because these are the things you said that people continued to ask you, how do you do this? Just like I'm asking you on this podcast. So you have eight weeks worth of a plan here for people to go through to really um, try to hone, look in the mirror and figure out who they are, where they want to be and, uh, you know, go through all those steps. And I'll just kind of read through them quickly. Week one is film study. We all love film study. Everybody loves watching themselves on tape. (laughs) Um, And then week two is your vision. Week three is developing the game plan. Week four, evaluating your team. Week five, reading the clips. Uh, Week six, in-game adjustments. Seven is recovery. And week eight is practice. And I just, I can't say enough about anybody listening to this. You really need to get yourself a copy of this. Season of Change. The, comp- the Competitor's Playbook for Joy on the Path to Victory by Hannah Gordon. Um, I want to jump ahead, Hannah, to week four, because I think a big part, and we're seeing this now, again, because of the world, that, the environment we're living in, is your team. Is mm-hmm. Yes, we all have to have grit. Yes, we all have to be able to, you know, push through things and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, and be tough. But we can't do it alone. And I think a lot of times that's, can be our Achilles heel is high achieving people typically are just used to figuring it out and going it alone. And so just kind of talk about, first of all, what are the, you you mentioned four different positions, Mm -hmm. um, the role that those four different positions help to play, to help you, to help me, to help people listening, become that better version of themselves and achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah, I completely agree with you that we absolutely, we do need our teams and that many of us try to go it alone. And that's a mistake um, (laughs) for a lot of reasons. Um, And your team can bring you so much joy. So the the four categories that I talk about here, the first one is your road dogs, right? Those are your ride or dies, your, your girlfriends, your guy friends, whoever they are. Those are the people that you can go to really with anything. They're people who are going to hold you accountable. Um, so these are your real friends, right? Not, not your fake friends, or your party friends. These are your real friends. So people will hold you accountable, but also who will celebrate your successes. And I think especially when we're in very tough environments, we need a safe place to go to kind of just unleash and be like, oh, this is what happened at work today or whatever. We all need that kind of sanctuary, um, especially when, again, when we're that first only different. Um, as that's a Shonda Rhimes um, phrase, FOD, first only different that I really love. Um, the second is your mentors. Um, so these are your coaches, right? These are the guides, the people who ask you the questions that help you figure out the answer. I think oftentimes we think a mentor gives us the answer, but the best mentors are the ones that just guide you just enough, nudge you just enough so that you figure out the answer on your own. Um, and we need those at work. We need those in our personal lives. Um, the third is sponsors. And um, I know for people who are in coaching, they're very familiar with these distinctions. But for those who aren't, 
The difference between a mentor and a sponsor is the mentor is that coach. The sponsor, almost like in sports, right? Is is whether it's your corporate sponsor, whether it's your booster, it's that person who is going to um say your name when you're not in the room to help you out, right? It's the person who's gonna say, you know who a great leadership development coach is that you should contact? Shelly Till. You you've got to get in contact with her. That's who a sponsor is. And these are in some ways more difficult to cultivate because you can't just walk up to somebody and say, hey, would you be my sponsor? Um, but you you do need to have some assertiveness in letting people know, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Should you have a need for my services? Should you know somebody? You know, I'd love if you kept me in mind. Because I think sometimes people, especially women, can be a little too shy about asking for that kind of help. Um, and then the last one is your strategic partners or your allies. Um, and this is where I think Many of us fall into the trap of thinking that everyone needs to be our friend for us to work with them um, and really understanding that if I have something I'm trying to accomplish, maybe it's starting a nonprofit, maybe it's getting a promotion at my job, not everyone who's a part of that plan needs to be your best friend. Um, there are many people who you may share some small aspect of your vision with, and this comes up a lot in public policy, right? Like to achieve something we need to build coalitions. We need to kind of build broadly among people where there's some type of intersection. Um, and so that's the fourth category for your team. Hannah, what would you say to someone who says, that's great and I'm all about that, but how do I go about really putting that team together or trying to grow that team in this world that we're living in right now when everybody's kind of at home, working from home, sheltered in place, can't really go out, um, you know, just the challenges that come along with that part of it. I definitely have empathy for that experience because I do think one of the things that's happening during COVID is that our worlds are shrinking in a lot of ways. So the number of people who we interact with um, has actually become smaller because we're not sort of having the casual interactions that we did before. However, I also think now is in some ways an incredible time for networking um, because instead of having to travel to go somewhere to a conference or something else, people are suddenly extremely available to you digitally. Um, so whether it's like yesterday, I did a conference that had people from Brazil, Israel, Mexico, all over the world, all talking to each other, and it didn't require anything other than the internet. Um, and people are extremely available to you because they are at home. Like, there are no more excuses for not returning phone calls, right? Like, because <laughs> yes, we're busy, but you can't be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm jet lagged. I just got to New York. I'm going, no, like we know you're at home. Like we just know. So I think in some ways people are craving that connection and it's actually a great time, whether you're reaching out on LinkedIn, whether it's people that you already know, are you checking up on them? Um, Cause that's actually a great way to build those relationships that you may already have. Yeah, I heard you t speak in another interview about the energy of people and, and the energy yeah. of being belonging. And, you know, it's a an, an innate need for all of us to have that sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves. And that leads me to um, your work with the 49ers. And in terms of everything that just the entire world is going through, but the NFL and, and I think I can't, I could, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I don't know that any 40 or any NFL organization has had it more challenging than the 49ers this year. I don't know if that's like the pendulum swinging the other way from a Super Bowl <laughs> appearance to now we're just going to 
keep knocking you down, but they continue to get back up again. And as we speak, obviously, they're currently in uh, housed in Arizona. That presents challenges of its own. But I heard a, a press conference from Kyle Shanahan the first, I think it was the first day they were down there, and he made a comment how he pulled in about 20 guys from the team and said, hey, look out for each other. If you see somebody that's struggling because we're in this isolated environment, speak up, make sure that we're looking out for one another, and to your point, checking in on one another uh, to get help because everybody has their breaking point. Even NFL football players have their breaking point. So Hannah, you know, in your experience being around the 49ers and, and Kyle Shanahan, just what is it about, I, I, to me, I think he's exceptional because he makes the conversation about mental and emotional wellness normalized. What have, what has totally. been your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think that's really one of the great things about this team and this organization, the family that owns it, um, is that they're very open and willing and, um, and really put value on not only the family environment, because I think we talk about that a lot in sports. And I think we do have that in a genuine way. Um, but really what you're talking about, that willingness to talk about mental health, um, that willingness to be vulnerable, that I think it's really part of the new wave of sports, I would argue, um, is putting aside some of those old school beliefs about toughness means you don't talk about your feelings and all that kind of stuff. And really being at the cutting edge of high performance, um, where you recognize that, in fact, agility, toughness, all these things actually require incredible attention to mental health, um, attention to the fact that we are social beings who need all of that for our mental health. Um, and, and I think that having those much more open conversations is something certainly that has come through some very hard and sad experiences um, I think Solomon Thomas and his family have been really open um, and a really important part of the team in talking about the loss um, of, of their daughter and sister, Ella. Um, and, and we mourned the passing of Tony York, um, the second anniversary of that yesterday. Um, so I think it, you know, it hasn't been without um, some very, you know, tough times as well um, for our team. But yeah, I think that, that, Coach Shanahan and the whole organization are very forward thinking in that way. And I think that it's part of why you see such a strong culture. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up about normalizing the conversation and, and that it is changing. Um, I think it's, it's long overdue. And um, I love to talk to people about, I refer to it as emotional flexibility. You know, we talk so much in sports about, we work on our physical strength and our physical fitness and we have muscular flexibility so that we don't injure ourselves. And it's the same thing with emotional flexibility. If we're, if we, the more emotionally flexible we can become as beings, the more we can handle mentally. Um, and, and the less likely we are to have one of those kind of emotional or mental injuries to deal with, but it, it takes a village as, as you mentioned. Um, I'm curious to know, Hannah, with all of your experiences, and there's just so, so many, and they're so vast, what, what are some of the more, more memorable moments that you've had? Oh my gosh. Um, there have been so many awesome moments with the 49ers. So I would say both of the Super Bowls that I've been a part of, um, not just the game itself, of course, but just those seasons. Like th when you catch fire like that, like 
there's just a special feeling when you have that type of momentum, a team that's not only rolling, but it's having fun. Um, that's something that's really special to be a part of. Um, and then I would say building Levi stadium is another thing that I felt really great about. Again, it actually has very much the same feeling of, um, going to a Super Bowl because it takes so many people. It's a team of people who are working toward the common goal. Um, and when you see everybody's blood, sweat, and tears, all the different pieces that, uh, you know, whether it was what the construction workers were responsible for, the architects or the financiers, everybody's work comes together to create something that's really for the community. Um, and then when you see that building fill with fans and actually kind of come to life and be what we talked about before in terms of the energy of people, um, that I literally got choked up the first time that I saw fans in the building. Well, as you should, uh, it's an incredible place and I miss it dearly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wish I would have stopped and kind of absorbed it a little bit more. Well, I absorbed that NFC championship. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> that was Good. one of the coolest experiences that I've had. But, you know, we who knew back in January that we were not going to be able to step foot inside Levi Stadium this season? Um, just, just really crazy. Uh, so those are some of the things that you, you're really proud of. What would you say looking forward? What, it, what is it that you, Hannah, as you created this journal for helping people kind of improve their lives or, or achieve new and, and bigger dreams, what's ahead for you? Oh gosh. Um, I think like most people, 2020 has sort of made me press pause on planning for the future. Um, because the future seems so uncertain every day and and so transitory. And so in some ways, I've really taken pleasure in being extremely present and sort of what this experience means for being present. Um, but I think there's lots of great things in store. I mean, the things that I think about the most right now are when I get to hug people again um, at games, you know, when I get to shake people's hands again, when we get to host people um, for football games and, and see that building fill again with people. And I do miss traveling. Um, so I think that there's, there's no doubt a lot in store over the long term. Um, but right now I'm kind of focused on how do we get just those, those simple things that we took for granted back. Yeah. I love that human contact is, is so necessary. Uh, so to that point, as you look back on this year, um, post Super Bowl, let's talk about that. What le- what are the lessons that you are taking from 2020? Um, how malleable we actually are. So I think that this has forced um, all of us who may have been rigid in one way or another, who said uh, the only way to have a football season is to have X, Y, and Z. Well, actually, everything has been turned upside down and we still get up, right? We're still resilient. We still find a different way to do it. And so I think it shows kind of our, um, you know, necessity really is the mother of invention, right? So I think that that's one of the things that we can all take away from this. Um, And then hopefully a value on people and community um, and really not taking for granted that human contact and and all the little things. Um, And really, I hope when we come back, still paying attention to people who work in the grocery store and how valuable the work they do is to small businesses and how we need to support them, not just when the economy is tough, but when the economy is good as well. Um, So I I hope those are the things that I'm taking out of this year. And as you mentioned, the name of the podcast is Too Much Grit to Quit. 
That being said, when you hear the word grit, Hannah, what does it mean to you? Mm, so I'm also a Bruin. And so I especially love the word because it always reminds me of when we talk about the 80s Bruins or gutty little Bruins. Um, grit to me is 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 toughness in this um in the the resilient way we were just talking about right it's like uh, i think people also use gritty sometimes to mean a, a toughness that comes from like you're not and i don't want to use the word soft because i think that's a word that, that's misused a lot um i'm giving you a very long answer to a very simple okay. question but i love words um and so i'm really i'm really like reflecting on the unique nature of that word versus words like resilience. Um, and I think one of the great things about it and just my love of language is that there's something about one syllable words, um, and, and words that have like a simplicity and a, um, a certain, a sound that feels like it goes with the meaning. And I think grit is one of those words, right? Like we can talk about when we touch something that's gritty, right? There's a dirt to it. There's a feeling to it, a substance to it. Um, and so I think it's that earthy feeling, um, that I like about grit. Who would you say, given that definition, as you think of it, who is a person yes. that comes to mind when you think of grit? Ooh, well, your son-in-law is definitely one of them. Um, <laughs> You'll be so happy to hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, you know, people like it, it takes some grit to smash people around. Um, <laughs> I don't know how do they that. do it. I really don't know um, how to go to bed the next day. <laughs> yeah. And, and I will tell, I'll pick another very uh, different example but I, one of my favorite songs for, you know, like having your walkout song, like I talk about in the book, um, is a Cardi B song. Um, I get ni- knocked down nine times, but I get up 10. And I, when I think of grit, Cardi B is another person who <laughs> comes to mind for grit. Um, and, you know, there's other people I could pick, politicians, other people. But, um, but yeah, I'll pick George Kittle and Cardi B. How's that for a <laughs> combination? <laughs> That that's quite a dynamic duo. <laughs> I don't know that George has ever been paired with Cardi B. We'll have to see what he thinks of that. <laughs> I think they would make some pretty amazing commercials together. Their two oh, personalities together would be incredible. That is so true. That would be hilarious, actually. Hilarious. Well, Hannah, um, I just so appreciate you taking time to talk to me today and to um, my listeners. And again, everyone, the book is Season of Change by Hannah Gordon. I, I'm going to say this again. I can't say enough how I think that this is a perfect book to either do on your own, more importantly, get a group of people and do it together, have a study together, an eight-week study together. Or if you want to take it to another level, get a coach and a group or a one-on-one with a coach because this book and the contents of it and what it touches on in all of the areas of your life, to me, is truly a game changer. And I cannot wait to dive into it. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Shelly. It was a pleasure to be here. That's a wrap for this edition of Too Much Grit to Quit on Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Shelly Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.